What advice would you give to young students or girls in particular wanting to pursue a career in STEM? Um, I had two things. The Hopefully it doesn't take up too much time, but um, the first one is much more just practical. It's uh, and to everyone. Do not ignore your grades the first two years of college. Freshman and sophomore year, you know, you think it's, oh, it's partying, it's fun. Um, that's where you find friends make up. Um, sure, all of that is true, but freshman and sophomore year is when your classes will be the easiest they will ever be. And it is also when having a really strong GPA is usually the key difference between those, at least from my experience and in my class, who graduated with the top job they wanted, they were super excited about, versus just any job, the first job they could find if they got a job at all. Um, my first couple of years, I finished up with a 392 GPA, and then I really struggled the rest of undergrad, such that, you know, Bs, Cs, really, I think my second half GPA was barely a 3.0, if that. Um, but because of the way that the GPA system works out, I ended up with a 3.6. Some of my classmates who were just as smart, arguably some of them smarter than I were, played around, had fun freshman and sophomore year, maybe finished up barely a 3.0 GPA, then got almost straight A's the rest of school. They finished with a 3.2, 3.4. I got more jobs than they did because I had the highest, even the slightly higher GPA. We're both capable. We're both great. It really matters those first two years. They make a huge difference. Um, and then the second one is more you know, a personal, um, and because this is my personal experience and how it worked out for me, what I would recommend is really thinking and digesting what do you want to do? What makes you happy and how can you incorporate that into a STEM career? Then look for the job. Don't look for, don't seek out jobs, say, look for anything you can get and try and find one that kind of matches and you're like, oh, that's good enough. Um, find what you like and what you want to do, and then look for the job that exists, look for the job that does that. If it doesn't exist, make it. Um, and that's not impossible. Um, and there's people, aerospace engineering, you think, oh, okay, well, aerospace, space, plates, you know, that's not it. Um, there's aerospace engineers. There was a girl in my school, my grade, who specifically joined aerospace engineering because she wanted to work on race cars. That's aerospace engineering. Um, there's aerospace engineers who care more about helping humanity. And so UNICEF, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. For me, that was that meant like the little boxes with coins for Halloween. Um, they're a humanitarian service because they have people that they deploy all around the world to remote areas to help them. That means that UNICEF, the organization, has an entire satellite constellation that exists just for them so that they can communicate while they're in their remote areas. UNICEF hires aerospace engineers. Um, if you are interested in art and knitting or anything random, if you have a random hobby, underwater basket weaving, fashion, there is an engineering job or a STEM job that you can fit and make both of those work. So look for what you like to do and how there's a potential way to do engineering and then create that job for you. It might already exist. Awesome. If not, you can make it. Uh, so that was really great advice, Samantha. Uh, thanks. 
mine might sound conflicting, but I swear it, it is it, it it is still in the same realm. My uh, my advice would be to be flexible with your career goals. Now, I I don't mean to say that you should settle for a job that's like, "Oh, yeah, I'm kind of interested in it." Uh but what I mean is that I have found myself uh, interested in a lot of different things in the course of my career because uh, surprise surprise I work in a really interesting field and meet a lot of very cool people. And I, uh, when I was in undergrad, I was really, really into space propulsion. And uh, actually, I'm probably going to uh, see if I can contact Samantha and talk to her about her research because it sounds so cool. But um, I have, so I mentioned previously that I have really found that the human interactions are an incredibly important part of engineering. And I've now sort of branched out into what you might call systems engineering, which does require a lot of higher level strategic thinking, and it does rely on a lot more human relationships. And, you know, I didn't necessarily ever think I would do this, but I've actually applied to a program now to pursue a master's and an MBA at the same time, because I think that this sort of higher level, very human uh, structure is really what makes these projects move forward. So I've, I've sort of changed my path from where I thought it would go in undergrad. And I think it's really important that you try to not get yourself locked into a, one particular thing that you think you want to do. It is, it is inevitable that you're going to change your mind about what you might be interested in. And I would really encourage you to be flexible with where you want to go. And if you find something that you want to pursue, don't, don't fight it because you feel you have pigeonholed yourself into one particular route. Uh, that's that's been a very important thing for me. It's been very important for me to be flexible with where do I want to go from here. And there are a lot of opportunities that you might miss that you might be really excited about if you feel like you have to be focused on one thing. Again, this doesn't mean take a job that you're not interested in. Uh, I, I'm totally with Samantha on that, but if there's something that interests you just because it's not in this very rigidly defined idea of what you're going to do, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be open to it. No, I totally agree with you, Scarlett. Yeah. And thank you for saying that because that you're very true. I do not want anyone to take away from what I said, like pick one thing and that's the next 40 years of your life. I don't, I don't, I don't have a five-year plan. It's all just the next step and that changes. You're so true. Uh, well, I think uh, for me personally, thinking back to my high school self, I was convinced most of high school and a large part of undergrad that like one failed homework assignment was going to be like the end of my entire career uh, or like, like a failed test was like that was it. Um, and that's just really, really not true. Like I am uh, I've failed loads of homework assignments, lots of quizzes, plenty of tests, you know, and here I am in a physics PhD program. Uh, I took I. I took the AP physics test in high school, really didn't do well on that. Um, and here I am in a physics PhD program. So like definitely always try your hardest, always put your best effort forward. Um, but if you do fail something like that's not that's not the end, you can always come back. And it's really, in my experience, more a game of how determined you are 
than how many, like how successful you are immediately. I would say, I would say that. So my advice is to make sure this is the career that you want and not because someone said that this is good or, oh, I think this will be good. And once you get too far, um, I've seen people just drop out, out of med school. So they've gotten in and then this is just not what they wanted. So make sure it is something that you really want to do in any field that you go to. Uh, do more research, go hang out with the people, uh, do internships. And then you really know approximately where you want to go. Uh, because if you don't like what you're doing, it's not going to be good. <laughs> so um, definitely uh, pick a field that will interest you, as, as everyone else said. Um, and then within that field, you can do so many different things. Even in medicine, there's so many different ways to go. It's not just being a doctor. There's right now, there's so many different fields in uh, even research, research. Uh, and multiple other ways that you can help people. If you say, oh, I just want to help people. Well, you don't just have to be a doctor face-to-face. -face. Um, you can do so many, many different other aspects. So just know what you want to do and go and look, spend time. That's my advice. Thank you all so much for your responses. Now we're going to be doing some individual questions. Miss um, Rollins, starting with you, can you tell us more about your work at Analytical Mechanics Associates? And follow up, what advice do you have for students wanting to gain work experience while still attending school? Sure. So specifically about Analytical Mechanics Associates, um, I kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, I'm also technically kind of what's considered a systems engineer. I have um, degrees in both aerospace engineering and nuclear engineering. And so right now what I'm doing a lot is being that kind of voice between the two fields. They both, some of them literally, both fields will sometimes use the exact same word and have different meanings and they'll be talking at each other. And I'm the only one going, you realize you're not like, these are the same words, but they don't, it's what is the princess bride? Like you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? Like uh, that's kind of a role that I that I play, one of the roles I play at AMA, which is a really exciting role. Um, when you say advice for students wanting to gain experience um, with work and school, um, if you mean that in the context of at the same time, because that's what I'm doing right now, um, I'm doing part-time work and part-time research for my PhD. If that's what you're talking about, my recommendation is please don't do it. <laughs> um, I, it sounds hypocritical because that is what I'm doing, but it's in my honest, from my honest assessment, I'm kind of doing both not nearly as well as I wish I could have because I'm splitting my time. Um, and PhD is also something that's kind of different than undergrad, high school, um, the other areas. Those ones are much more intensive. PhD is very fluid you know there's a couple of classes you have to take but then the most mo the rest of it is kind of on your own um and you and your advisor um i did try to do a co-op i did try to do both school and an internship um while i was an undergrad and it didn't work they had only asked me to come in every other friday and even with that two months into it i just couldn't balance the workload of school of undergrad and that internship and i had to end that internship early um, it's really, really hard. If you need to do, if you are looking for a job for the money, 
especially in school, what I would recommend is really look for any and all scholarships you can find. Um, I was able to, I was very fortunate in that I had my parents to lean back on if I needed to, but with regardless of them, I was able to get almost over $25,000 in scholarships. And that wasn't everything for school. School is, I have opinions about education and my, the cost of education, but um, that was, so that wasn't everything, but it really made a difference. Um, please be able to try and focus on school, but then do get internships. Internships are really important. Um, focus, but keep them separate. Do school during the school year, internship during the summer. Um, that, that will really help you make sure you do the best of both. Ms. Kohler, you currently work at NASA and previously worked at SpaceX. What is the difference between working for a government agency and a private corporation, especially regarding gender equality? So I think it's a little bit difficult to say what the differences are regarding gender equality, specifically regarding SpaceX versus JPL, because they are pretty distinct. And I think things do differ between SpaceX and other uh, private organizations, and things are different between JPL and other uh, government labs. However, I've uh, so I've also had an internship at Northrop Grumman, and I think that at both Northrop Grumman and at SpaceX, I would say perhaps there was a little bit less. There was a little bit less directed professional development that was aimed at women, uh, but there is. A, but both companies are actually working hard to recruit more women right at this particular moment. I, I do know that for a fact. A friend of mine is still at Northrop, and uh, I've been hearing a lot about their efforts. So that might change. JPL in particular has a very long history of having women in key technical roles. I don't know if any of you have read the book Rise of the Rocket Girls, but um, there, JPL recruited a whole bunch of women who were the first computers back when computer meant a person computing. And they became the first computer engineers when JPL actually acquired a computer. And I think in in part because of that, JPL in particular has been a place that very heavily focuses on women's professional development in STEM fields. So I think uh, in, in that sense, I think it's been more helpful for me because I've been able to access structures that are in place for women to seek mentorship and um, and take courses for professional advancement. And there wasn't quite that formal structure in place at SpaceX and uh, not quite as much at Northrop, although I believe they are working on building that up. I would say that in in government enterprises, you might end up seeing more women in technical roles because, um, so technically I work for Caltech. I don't act, I'm a contractor to the federal government, but I'm, I'm not, I don't directly work for them. Uh, but because of the nature of uh, government labs, uh, government sponsored labs and government jobs, you might see more women in technical roles because they provide more flex they typically provide more flexibility 
And so you see more older uh, women with families in technical roles, I, I've noticed. That said, uh, things are changing very quickly by the time uh, high school students like yourself are entering this workforce. I, I think you, uh, you might not find that to be the case anymore because as mentioned, there are a lot of efforts ongoing in the private industries to really recruit more women and make their workplaces more accessible to women because they're starting to recognize that they're neglecting a huge pool of talent. So it's difficult for me to say that, uh, to say what that field might look like. But I, I would say that government-sponsored labs are a little bit more flexible and they have a longer history of being a little bit more flexible. And uh, I'm sorry, could you remind me of the other question you had? Um, I think that was it. Oh, that was it? Okay, go on. Thank you. Um, Ms. Gabriel, since graduating from high school, what internships or research opportunities have you pursued? And how have these steps contributed to the position you currently hold? Yeah, so um, sort of to uh, agree uh, with Samantha's point about uh, like networking and talking to people. When I first learned about networking, I was like, ah, you know, um, but it's really been uh, just uh, important to my career. So uh, I, in undergrad, I found a professor who was doing physics research uh, that I was really interested in. And I quite honestly just showed up to his office and said, hello, I'm very interested in what you're doing. Can I get involved? Um, and I was lucky enough that he said yes. Um, and then it was actually really, really helpful for me. I was involved in an internship in his lab for uh, several years of undergrad and did that while doing classes. And for me, that was like an extremely positive experience um, and really helped me learn what I was interested in and what I wanted to pursue. Um, and then, uh, let's see, my senior year of college, I got really interested in accelerator physics. Um, and I, I actually used the same strategy. I went to my advisor and I said, I'm really interested in this research field. How can I get involved? Um, and I was lucky enough that he had friends at Fermilab. And so he reached out to his friends and I emailed people and I actually went and visited and I was able to find someone who was willing to work with me. Uh, and I was able to do my senior thesis research uh, with an accelerator physicist at Fermilab because of that. Um, and then in graduate school now, uh, I when I met my uh, advisor, UCSC assigns everyone like an initial advisor. I talked to him and I said, you know, I'm really interested in accelerator physics. You know, what are the options? And he said, well, like, let's talk to the people at Slack National Accelerator Laboratory. And it's a, it's a really funny chain of events, actually, because he connected me to a student who was involved at Slack, who connected me to a friend who gave me a ride, who introduced me to someone, who introduced me to someone, who introduced me to Emilio, who is my Emilio Nani, who uh, is now my PhD thesis advisor. Um, so I really just want to, I mean, it's not always going to work out. Sometimes you talk to people and they say like, oh, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I don't have any opportunities right now. But a lot of times, even if they say that, they'll say, I don't have any opportunities, but like, let me connect you to this other person. Um, and people really love to talk about the research and their work. So a lot of times just showing up um, and saying, hey, I'm really interested in what you're doing. Can I learn more? Uh, has been a really, really effective way for me to find opportunities. So I would definitely recommend that. 
Thank you. Um, Dr. Danish, as someone who owns a practice and must manage employees, what traits do you think make an effective leader? So that's tough. <laughs> the most important thing is to be patient. Um, patience is a virtue in reality. So um, if you're not patient, people will quit on you quickly. You know, if you start yelling, if you start um, telling them, and then being able to teach them from the beginning of what to do. Uh, you don't want to just say, oh, here's the papers, just do whatever. Um, you know, teaching them and being patient with them. Uh, and uh, the, the first thing is to pick the right person. You know, when we hire someone, we do a lot of interviews. We do first interviews, second interviews, and then make sure that this is the job that they want. You don't want to just have someone, oh, I'm just looking for a job. I just want to be here. You want to make sure that they're excited to be there. They have that enthusiasm to work for you. Um, it's not like, oh, I have to go to work every day. Oh, you want it because it's their home, because they spend more time in our office than they do at home. You know, and if it's if they're not happy there, then it'll make their life miserable, which in turn will make your life miserable. So you have to make sure you uh, pick the right people to surround you with and then teach them what you want and what you expect and then be patient with them and continue to teach, not just the first week or so. You know, things come up continuously. I've had my nurses for years and they teach me and I teach them. You know, um, they say, oh, I heard about this or I heard about that. Or then I see something's wrong or some one of the students comes and says, you know, our office that I just rotated to did something like this. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Let's try it. So then continuously you teach and bring up new stuff. Um, so being a good leader is uh, to have patience and to teach continuously, I think. Thank you all for tuning into our virtual Women in STEM panel. And I want to thank all our speakers for taking their time to be with us. We would also like to thank KBEV producers for recording, editing, and producing our event and for being so helpful throughout this process. In addition, we would like to thank our teachers, Mr. Castle and Mr. Odoricio for their guidance and help, and Ms. Dubin for all her support of the robotics team. And we hope to see you all next time at our Women in STEM event. Thank you for watching.